So we've been in a series the last several weeks entitled The Rest of Your Life. The Rest of Your Life. And what we've learned, uh, uh, we've, we've actually learned quite a bit about God's desire that we enter into his rest. Right? That we embrace it for the rest of our lives. See, the truth is that you and I don't have to live under the constant pressures that we subject ourselves to. So let's just be real honest with ourselves. Because the majority of the pressures that we endure in life are self-inflicted. Let's be honest, right? We take those on, right? You don't have to accept anxiousness and worry and wait as normal for your life. You don't have to live with the burden and stress and unrest of where you think this is supposed to go or how it's supposed to work out. You see, the truth is that for the average person... Life feels like a fight. Feels like a fight. A fight to achieve, a fight to create better tomorrows by working as hard and going as fast as you can today to get to tomorrow. But let me ask you a question. How's that fight working for you? How's that going for you? Right? Let me ask you this. Are you winning that fight? Or are you still getting clobbered to a pulp while striving to survive in hopes of one day resting from the madness of your rat race? Are you fighting and yet still not winning? See, today I'd like to invite you into an intimate conversation with God. Not with me, not with my opinion, with God as we look into his word. And we dive into today's topic, which is, it's not your fight. Go ahead and tell somebody, it's not your fight. If you're joining us online, go ahead and type that, it's not your fight. Now make it a little bit more personal, it's not my fight. So, here's a question for personal reflection. Why are you still fighting? Why are you still fighting for a breakthrough? Why are you still fighting to change circumstances? Why are you still fighting to do something that's not yours to do in the first place. See, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 have been a foundational portion of the text. And we're going to look at Hebrews 4, and we're going to look again at Matthew 11, verse 28. But we're going to start at Hebrews 4, starting at verse 1. It says, now the promise of entering into God's rest is still for us today. Let me translate that for you. It's still available. It's still present. It's still there. So we must be at extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. Watch this. It says, for we have heard the good news of of deliverance just as they did. This is referring to the people of Israel, people of promise, a people that were supposed to walk under the provision, the goodness of God, but they failed to enter into that rest. And we got to see why. It says, yet they didn't join their faith With the word. Whose word? God's word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply. Watch this. For they doubted. For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise. And we experience the realm of confident rest. See, the fact that God reminds us that his rest is still available for us today tells us that some of us may still be seeking it in all the wrong places because it's still available. See, if there's one thing that I think we can all agree on, 
it's that when you're in wrong places, right, things tend to go wrong. They go wrong. When you're looking to the wrong source of information, of power, when you're seeking in the wrong places, eventually the equation will always add up to be the same. Wrong. Because when you're seeking what's wrong and you're therefore going in the wrong direction, you're going to end up in the wrong place every time. See, when you're in the wrong place in life, life is a struggle. It pulls at us to take the wheel of our lives without directions. It becomes a fight to survive, to arrive at a place of peace and rest from our daily burdens. And no matter what we do, we're losing. See, for some of us, we grew up in the school of hard knocks. I did too. You know what that school is? Matter of fact, some of you may still be there. Let me tell you what the school of hard knocks is. It's where you keep knocking into the challenges that you face in life and are constantly fighting for a breakthrough but never breaking through anything. It's a losing battle. And because many of us have learned in this school of hard knocks, we approach challenges as if we're in a fight that never ends and we come up for air. And we get in our corner and we get patched up, right? And we medicate and we, we do whatever it is that we do topically on the outside to beautify ourselves to somehow get back in the ring in hopes that we'll win. But all we do is just take more lumps along the way. In Matthew 11, Jesus tells us for that reason this. Starting at verse 20, he says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. See, rest is not in what you do. Rest is not in what you employ to fight. Rest is not within your own strength. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is saying, do it my way. So if this is where you find yourself in life, where you're feeling like life is a never-ending fight, I've got good news for you directly from Jesus. You can cease from your fighting and striving. There is a better way. I've said this in so many different ways over the last six weeks. I pray that it's beginning to take root in your heart. See, there's a reason why Jesus tells us Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's because he already fought the fight that you're trying to fight. Why not learn from the one who fought it and won? Man, that preacher's good, man. That's speaking to me right now. The guarantee is that you will find rest for your souls. And so in the scriptures, we have a time... When the Israelites went into a battle against their sworn enemies. These were people called the Philistines. And on this particular battle, they lost about 4,000 men on the battlefield, right? It was a pretty bad loss. What's interesting is that after this great loss, they regrouped 
and brought with them the Ark of the Covenant. Let me, now, let me just back up real quick to give you some context. In this first battle, their enemies show up, and because their, enemy, their enemies are before them, they, they figure, we have to fight. And so they lose 4,000 men. And after this loss, they get together, and they decide, we're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant. Now, here's the thing about the Ark of the Covenant. In those days, God's spirit, God's uh, presence, God's person did not live in, within men. His spirit would rest upon a chosen few. But his presence dwelled in a ark that was built where the covenant of uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the covenant, the Ten Commandments, uh, were placed in there along with some other items that were representative of his uh, desire, his love, and his agreement with his people. And so uh, when, wherever the covenant went, here's what people thought. The presence of God is here. And so they went and got the Ark of the Covenant to bring it into this fight with them. To have that present with them as they went back out to fight the Philistines. But the thing is, it had no impact in the moment of their fight. And we have to see why. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 4. We're going to start at verses 3 through 11. So keep in mind, they've already lost 4,000 men. And now they're regrouping. Verse 3, it says, When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring this defeat on us today before the Philistines? We're going to talk about that in a little bit because there's a problem with that statement. It goes on to say, Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that, we may, so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of of our enemies. And so the people sent men to Shiloh and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty who was enthroned between the cherubim. And the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp. Now watch this. All Israel raised such a great shout. <sighs> you guys missed it. Okay. You missed your opportunity. Right. They raised this great shout, right? And here's what happens. The ground shook. Verse 6 says, hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A God has come into their camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They're the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, Philistines. Be men. Or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. And so the Philistines fought. And the Israelites were defeated. And every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, that was the high priest in that time, Hophni and Phinehas, died. So here's the thing. The Philistines were a fierce enemy who were a constant thorn in the side of God's people. They oppressed Israel in various ways. And eventually, the people of Israel had enough. They made the decision to fight an onslaught of tyranny as the Philistines were approaching them in this first battle, they said, our enemy's here, we have to fight. 
Then they go into this other battle that we just, we just read, and they said, we have to fight. And both of them ended up tragically. A total of 34,000 men were lost. See, while it appears that they went into one battle on their own and into another battle with God, both battles had the same thing in common. They excluded God. They excluded God. See, as we read, Israel went in search of the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh where it was located because they were convinced that the Ark of the Covenant would protect them in battle. But it turned out tragically because they trusted in the Ark more than the God of the Ark. You know, as Christians, we do that sometimes. Well, you know, I'm saved. Jesus is with me, so come on, Jesus, into this battle with me. It's like he's my buddy, and you go where I go. But that's not the way it works. And so we see here that Israel trusted more in the mere presence of the ark when what they needed was to trust in God himself. So what can we learn from this example? What can we learn from this moment in history? And here are some things that we learn from the people of Israel. Number one, we learn that God will fight for you, but he will not fight you. I'm going to say that again, and then I'm going to qualify what I mean by that. God will fight for you, but he will not fight you. You know, oftentimes when we're faced with opposition and circumstances that threaten to knock us down in life, our natural tendency is to get up in arms and fight it out, right? We argue, we complain, we accuse, we attack. We destroy with our words, with our thoughts, with our actions. We act out in anger, we end up in anger. We're left with stress, suffering, losses, and then we finally turn to God, right? The issue that the people of Israel faced in these moments wasn't that God couldn't or wouldn't fight for them. Listen, the real issue was that they proceeded into a fight without God's input. They stepped into this fight without God's direction. They stepped into this fight without God's protection. See, the moment you choose to fight out of your selfish desires, your anxious thoughts, and your drive to survive by your sheer strength, by your willpower. Here's what's really the result. God's hands are tied. See, while you're busy fighting your battles, you're also fighting God off in the process and excluding his power to overcome. So let me illustrate this to you from Scripture. I need two big guys, right? Sir, I'm going to ask you to join me over here. Mo, come on up here, right? Hey, these are church at the bridge finest. Look at these dudes, man. Ain't nobody messing with us with these guys here, right? But I want to illustrate this to you. I want you, Alan, to come on this side, right, of Mo. Stand next to Mo, right? And you're going to walk in place, right? So just act like you're walking in place. There you go. You're walking in place, right? So let's, which one is tall? Okay. Alan's taller. So we're going to call Alan God, right? We're going to say this is God, depicting God, right? 
And this is our guy, Mo, right? And Mo's walking with God, right? You guys keep walking. Let me read to you what happens when we decide that we're going to do it on our own and God doesn't fight us when we make that decision. James 4, 6, and 7 says this. You guys keep walking, right? James 4, 6, and 7 says this. It says, but he gives more grace. So get this. God is walking with Mo, right? And he's leading him into grace, right? That word grace speaks of favor. It speaks of favor which brings joy and pleasure and delight, right? Kindness and strength and knowledge, benefits. No wonder this guy's so big, man, right? God's been doing great things in his life. So he's walking with God, right? So God's giving him more grace. Therefore, watch what it says. He says, uh, therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Watch this. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So let me depict to you what happens here. When you begin to fight your own fight, right? Here you are walking with God. Let's turn, let's turn this. Here you are walking with God, right? God's heading in this direction. All of a sudden, Mo says, I got this. Mo turns around, and now he's going the opposite direction of God. But he's wanting to fight. Stay right there, God. Just still walking in place, right? So... Mo's saying, man, I got, I'm, I'm fighting this. Put your hands up, bro, like you're fighting. God's walking this way, and this is the way grace is leading. But this is the way Mo is going. And watch what the Bible says. God resists the proud. It's not that God is against him. It's that Mo's going in the opposite direction, and his pride is at work. So God says, listen, I'm heading this way, but you're going that way. He's not, oppressed, he's not opposed to you, but he is walking in the opposite direction. So what's the best thing Mo can do? Mo, put your hands down. Turn around. Walk with God. Right? And watch what happens. Come on, give it up. Isn't God good? Thanks, guys. I appreciate you, man. Thank you, brother. So I want you to get this. I want you to see this. Right? I want you to see this. Because this, this, is, this is a valuable revelation to get. God is walking with you side by side. But he's leading you according to his grace, into his grace. And I love the way the scriptures put it here in the New King James. It said he's, he's giving us more grace. Now God has already given us the full extent of his grace in Christ. But the reason why it talks about him giving us more grace is because there's more revelation for you and I to catch up to. Right? We haven't arrived. Right? So there's more grace available. But God is walking beside us and he's leading us. And the moment we take up the fight on our own, we get ahead of God and now we're going against his grace. My friends, that's pride. That's pride. That's pride. That's pride. See, it's for this reason that God goes on to reveal to us in these verses, that God commands us even. He says, submit to God. Do you realize that that word submit there is a military term in the Greek? You know what it means? It means to arrange yourself under the leadership and advice of one who has greater authority than you. You know, I've never been in the military, but here's one thing that I think is just basic common sense. The best way to win a war with an army is when you have an army that's united. 
Why not just submit to God, yield to his authority, follow his direction? Because when you do, his grace goes with you. And watch this. The enemy has to flee. Man, that's good news. He has to flee. The second point that I want to leave you with here today is that the battle before you is contingent upon winning the battle within you. I'm going to say that again. The battle before you is contingent upon winning the battle within you. You know, there are times when we forge ahead for a fight, right? We're all into our emotions, all into our feelings, all into our strength, all into our own ideas, and we say, I got this, right? We're, we forge ahead for a fight, and we lose the fight before it ever starts because we don't take the time to seek God's leading. Instead, we proceed out of our own internal unrest, right? Now, the people of Israel were so distressed at their losses in battle that they went into the next battle believing that they were doing it with God's blessing. Listen to what they did. The scripture reveals it. It said, let's get the Ark of the Covenant so that God could come with us. God, you come with me. That's not the right way to play follow the leader, guys. That's not the right way to play follow the leader, right? The reason why they made this horrific mistake was because they reacted to their circumstances instead of responding to God. So let me tell you what's happening when we react to our circumstances. Here's the first thing we're doing. You react out of your reflexes, out of natural impulse. You ever been to the doctor? Well, maybe not now, but when you were a kid, they'd sit you down, right? And they'd grab this little mallet, right? And they'd tap a portion of your knee and reflex, and the doctor goes, it's all good, right? Natural impulse, right? Natural reflex. You know, we have the tendency to do that sometimes if we're not careful, if we're misdirected in our belief, in our, in our perception of what this life with Christ is. We act out of impulse. And here's the thing. Impulse is natural, but here's what it also is. It's unspiritual. It's ungodly. It's wrong. When you decide that you want to get in your little fit, right, because I'm right and you're wrong and you need to get it right, brother, right, you need to come to my side. No, 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 no. You've got it twisted already. You're viewing this all wrong. You're acting out of reflex. Here's what else happens when you react out of circumstances. <laughs> you react out of your wound-driven state. You react out of your wound-driven state. Picture it this way. A dog who's wounded and is laying in a corner, and they're hurting, and you try to approach that dog. Here's what that dog does. So it gives you a big smile. Right? Gives you some teeth. Right? And you try to touch it and it snaps at you. Why? Because it's hurting and it believes that you're going to hurt it. So what I want you to think about is that when you react solely according to circumstances, we have a tendency to react out of a place of wounds. Right? Here's what else happens when we react 
according to circumstances. You react by attacking first and cutting your losses later. Right? We attack, attack, attack. We speak, we say, we think, we do, we act. And then afterwards, we're left with pieces and shambles, and we try to figure out how to put it together. And then we believe this. I'm sorry makes it all right. See, we're trying to cut our losses later on to somehow trying to figure out how we can piece them together. But you see, there's a different way to approach these fights in life. See, when you respond to God, you respond out of wisdom and knowledge. Why? Because you are hearing the voice of your shepherd. When you're responding to God, you're not telling God, come on, God, come with me. No, 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 no. God, how do I respond to this situation? God, what does your word declare to me? Well, right? When you respond to God, here's what else you do. You respond with an aim for resolution. You're aiming for peace, not war. So let me tell you something, my friends. For those of you here and those of you online, if you're aiming to be right, you're aiming to get somebody to see it your way, can I tell you you're wrong already? Because you're not aiming for resolution. You're aiming for yourself. It's wrong. It's wrong. You got to let that go. Let me tell you what else happens when you respond to God. You respond with the intent of healing and restoration. Your approach is for the purpose of bringing healing, not hurt. See, if all you do is fight the battles before you, but never fight the battle within you, the rage of your natural impulses, your reactions out of hurt, your reactions to attack, if that's the only way that you approach these fights, here's the guarantee that you can bank on. You'll always lose. You'll always lose. And here's the thing. The scripture does not give us indication that we were created to lose. The scripture says that you are more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. But you know when you become more than a conqueror? When you take that identity on and you hold that position in life? When you choose not to fight for God. How can you be more than a conqueror? The only way to be more than a conqueror is that the conquering has already been done. You're just walking it. That makes sense? Listen to what Galatians 5, 19 through 26 says. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, that's who you used to be. That's not who you are today. The results are very clear. Watch this. Sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery. That's uh, idol worship. It's witchcraft. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again as I have before that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Now, just a quick rabbit trail I want to take here. This does not speak of people going to hell. You must understand what the scripture says about what the kingdom of God is. The scriptures declare that the kingdom of God is a state of life, a quality, a new life. It defines it as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So listen, Paul was writing this to church people. And he's saying, you can forsake your inheritance by acting out of your natural impulses. Thus, he goes on to say this, verse 22. He says, but the Holy Spirit, that's God in you right now, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these. There's nothing that, over, that can overcome these. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, watch this, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us, watch this, let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. See, your daily fight, my daily fight, our daily fight is not with the people that oppose us. Your daily fight is not with the circumstances that come against you. Your fight is first within. I'm going to tell you why. Because you have to oppose the natural inclinations that oppose what God is doing in you. There's a reason why the scripture says that the flesh is weak, but the spirit is what? Willing. You've got all the willpower you need because you have God resident in you to overcome. But you have to line yourself up and follow after that power instead of your own willpower. See, your fight is first within. And I love what Paul identifies here by revelation of the Holy Spirit. He says that we nail these natural inclinations to the cross. We leave them there. That's the fight that you have to fight daily. You got to remember it's already on the cross. This is not me. I am not angry. That is not your identity. I am not depressed. That is not your identity. I am not sick. That is not your identity. You are not that. You may be experiencing circumstances, but the new you came as a result of the old you that was nailed to the cross. Let that person go. You're free. We see something else about this fight. This fight within. That the way you win that fight is by determining who you follow on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis. You know, most fights in life are lost before they're ever fought because we don't fight the desires that rage within us. We don't. We step into fights fighting people, but we haven't won the fight within. So you're already bound to lose. You might win the argument, but you've lost the battle within That's not what God desires for you. 
God doesn't want you to go with these uncontrolled uh, uh, natural inclinations, these pleasures, these jealousies, these selfish ambitions, right? These impurities. So I know what somebody here is at least thinking, maybe it's somebody online. I don't know where I heard it, but I heard somebody either here or online thinking this. So how do I fight these inclinations? How do I fight these natural tendencies? And God's response is to start by not letting yourself, according to Scripture, what it says is become conceited. Listen, when your focus is on yourself, the only person you're punching is you. It's you. See, when your focus is on yourself, when it's on your desires and your way, you can't win because you can't even see past yourself to see what God is trying to show you. You can't notice your offenses. You're always in this state of victimhood because they hurt me and they're doing this. And if they didn't do that, and why don't they change? And the one that needs to change first is you. You. Stop complaining about people and what they did and what they said. You're the one offended. You're the one licking your wounds. You're the one stuck. And God says, no, I want you to be free, free indeed. See, when you take your focus off of yourself, here's what you begin to do. You begin to cut the weeds out of your life, and here's what's left after that. Fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Man, who doesn't want that in life? The last point I want to leave you with here today is that sometimes the best way to face a battle is not to fight it at all. Sometimes the best way to face a battle is not to fight at all. You know, the reason why Israel lost over 34,000 men over the course of these two battles was because they chose to fight a fight that wasn't theirs in the first place. They perceived the threat. I think we've all been there. Oh, man. Bring it, baby. I'm ready. Mama said, knock you out. Right? We, we get in that mode, right? We put on the gloves. We, we start listening to some LL Cool J. Some of you are too young for that. I know. I know. you. That was when music was music. Anyway. Right? Right? But we get into this battle mode. We decide that we have to do something about it without consulting God. That's, how, that's where they went wrong in both these battles. They saw their, their first battle, they saw their enemy coming, and they said, well, there's a fight coming, so got to fight, right? See, if a battle is before you and leads you to anxiousness, to fear, to worry, to an overwhelming drive to fight on your own without consulting God, first, you're headed in the wrong direction. You're headed for the wrong fight. Remember, Jesus calls us to ditch our hitch to our way of doing things, and to hook ourselves up to him, to yoke ourselves to him, to learn from him. And the result is that we learn and we find rest for our souls. This is where Israel went wrong. And as a result, it turned out wrong for them. 
You know, the scriptures record a time when King Jehoshaphat found himself pressed on all sides internally because a vast army was marching his way to destroy him and the people of Israel. He was worried and he was under great duress. But instead of reacting to the circumstances, he responded to his awareness that he didn't need an army as much as he needed God. Listen to his words in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. He says, we do not know what to do. Listen to what he says. God, we do not know what to do here, but our eyes are set on you. God, I don't know what to do here. I can't perceive how to proceed with this fight. I don't, I don't see the resources. I don't understand why this is happening. Listen to God's response to Jehoshaphat. This response from God defied all rationale as this vast army marched towards him steadily. And the people of Israel were facing a great defeat. Listen to what God says in 2 Chronicles 2 verses 15 through 17. It says that God said to him, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Listen closely to this. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So get this. When we follow the path of rest into life's battles, God says, watch me fight for you. You won't have to lift a finger. Listen closely. This defies all logic because some of us believe that in order to win a fight, you have to be in the fight. And you know what? You're actually right. You do have to be in the fight. But you see, it's the position you assume in the fight that determines your victory. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Jehoshaphat perceived that his unrest could lead him to a place of disaster. And so he relied on the only one, the only thing that kept him in God's rest in the first place. He continued to depend, to trust, to look to the Lord. Here's the thing. He knew that the same God that had delivered him before was the same God that could and would deliver him in that day. So let me just say something to you. If you still are wrestling with this idea that you got to be in the fight, let me teach you something about rest. Rest in Christ. Remaining at rest in the face of battles is not passive. It's actually active. 
Let me say that again. You got to think about that. Remaining at rest in the face of battles is not passive. It's not weakness. It's not a position of loss. No, it's actually a place where you are battle ready. Where you are ready for the fight. And all you got to do is watch God win on your behalf. Listen, when you take a position of trust in Christ and you stand firmly in his ability to see you through like Jehoshaphat did that day, you too will see your enemies overcome right in front of your eyes. I want to encourage you to go check this moment in history that's recorded in the Bible because Jehoshaphat showed up at this battleground and here's what he, here's what he witnessed. His enemies said, we're going to kill each other. We're going to fight each other. And Jehoshaphat literally had to lay back and go, my God, how good are you? My faithful God. See, battles do come and go in life. But you can remain standing through every one of them as you confidently rest in your Lord's, our Lord's faithfulness to fight for you. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.